Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Nightlight, I can't, Ken just mentioned with a little luck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe that's going to fit in with tonight's show. I don't, uh, maybe we actually know what we're doing. At, I don't know. We're gonna, we're going to have a good uh, two hours. Um, yeah, we don't uh, specialize in a lot of afterlife topics, but you know, the subject comes up from time to time. Uh, recently, you know, uh, we've done uh, ghost shows, and I think that was uh, more related to the guests' availability than design, or was there some type of synchronicity? Um, that's some, just part of the numerous questions I have our guest tonight. Um, we have a uh, scholar joining us tonight to help us connect the dots and answer some of these metaphysical questions from recent shows and whatever else that uh, comes up. And you know, I have a whole bunch of uh, questions that have already come in from uh, a number of friends and the swirly twirly girl and a whole bunch of other uh, people who, who, who are very excited about tonight's show. Um, Reverend Bill McDonald is our guest. He's a Vietnam veteran, a traveler to exotic lands, a poet and author of Alchemy of a Warrior's Heart. Uh, you can learn more about him by going to his website, RevBillMcDonald.com. And if you like what you hear from the expanding hosts at Nightlight, uh, please subscribe to Barbara's YouTube channel. Hello, Bill. How are you? I'm. Uh, if I was any better, Mark, I'd be you. Or I'd certainly <laughs> want to be you. <laughs> At least being that same aura and presence, just staying in your shadow makes me feel enlightened. Okay. Now you got to realize that I that I I. I 
incorporated another title today in the mail. I got uh, one of my <laughs> friends in in Scotland bought a little piece of property. I mean, little. It's little, 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 little tiny piece of property that uh, in, incorporates this big nature preserve. And by virtue of me being Scottish and owning a piece of property, I was given a title. Now, the English I- person. That is the Lord, so I'm Lord Reverend Bill McDonald, but uh, the, the Scots, it's uh, Lard, L-A-R-I-D, Lard, Lard uh, Reverend Bill. So just be oh. respectful, respectful the, the the humble place that you have in my shadow now. So <laughs> I, I, I did not know that. Yeah, see, little known fact. But uh, oh, okay. I didn't I, know last, that. Last time I was in the UK, that's a place that I went. In uh, 2016, last time I was there, and I didn't really know anybody there. I mean, I knew a couple people, you know, Facebook friends you don't really know, right? You, you know, some people online and a couple people. But I got there and I spent a couple months or so, at least a month and a half, and I found some of the most brilliant. There's an English term, right? Brilliant. Everybody in England, brilliant, brilliant. He's brilliant. Uh, some of the most unique people. It's like. They found me, and uh, I went to this one town in in Wales, which I didn't know was famous for being one of these suicide capitals of the world. I don't know why I want to go down this road today, but it just feels like it's maybe a subject out there because I've been dealing this week okay. with several people that have children that have been suicidal. I mean, two or three of them. Uh, just in the last 10 days. So I'm thinking this phenomenon is kind of happening out there. But when I went to to Wales to stay at uh, a friend's house, James and and his family, uh, I was overcome with this dark, heavy, foreboding energy when I when I got off the, the train and, you know, and, and walked into the town, it was late at night and walked to the guy's house and it was just really there and, and then a couple of days later we went walking into the woods and in the woods there's a clearing with these stones kind of like uh stonehenge yeah it's all kinds of, in, in in the uk but they're not you know they were three four five feet tall maybe right. six. not huge ones but it was a big circle and i was it was just me and and james and, and i'm leaning on this one and i'm kind of sitting on it and I'm just getting overwhelmed with depression, grief, darkness. And I'm visualizing young people sitting around, not in old times, but in modern times, sitting around there doing something like magic, black magic or something. At least they thought they were doing something, having fun. But I felt that they were opening up something really not good for the whole town. While I was staying there, my energy kept draining. And more I kept praying for this darkness that I felt and praying for the people I felt that were having this darkness there. Uh, it kept draining me to the point uh, that I, when I got back to the United States, just a day or two, a day after I got back to the United States, I was in the hospital and they said I was going to die. I mean, I actually drained down to that level where I actually was dying a little bit at a time. Um, when I 
got back and I got my wealth. That was 2016. But it wasn't until this year, because I was starting to write my new book, that I kept thinking about the darkness that this town it was. Bridgeton is the name of the town. If somebody wants to look that up on the internet, you know, if you look at YouTube videos, which I was looking for some some uh, video on a travel log, kind of see where I've been. And then I found all these videos about this epidemic cluster of young people taking their lives in this town. And it started just a few years before I got there. And for a period of about four years, there was like a hundred young people taking their lives. A hundred for a town that's not very big, maybe five, six, seven, eight thousand people. And you have a hundred young people take their lives. We're talking about hanging themselves and things. Um, that's really strange, but I kind of tied it all together to that energy that I discovered in that circle. And I hope I get, we'll go something a little lighter from that, but I was, I was thinking about that today because people don't realize that young people are so susceptible to these lower level energies that are out there. Um, people, there was something on on the news in America tonight where they were talking about the one of these shows that it's possible that sixth, seventh graders and all the way down to first and kindergarten, these kids are get, are being treated, imagine a kindergarten being treated for depression. So with the holidays coming up, I think, boy, that's just. So um, I think people have to be cognizant of the fact that what's happening in the world right now, they talk about old people in old homes because they're not getting visitors and they're depressed. So I think old people handle it. It's the young people not in school right now. It's the young people not having associations with other young people and that young energy that's that's going to hurt them. So thank God that we got a, a, a light at the end of the tunnel for this virus. You know, this time next year, I think we're going to be back on track. But that was just something that was kind of hanging over me. So before we started the show a couple of days ago, I go, you know, I'm going to tell an upbeat story to start this thing off about the holidays. So I think I'm going to dash off to there because that's kind of like a, okay, I just gave you a, an energy bomb. Boom. Let's bring everybody down. But it, that's just a warning thing out there. For people really need to know that children really do need spiritual, emotional hugs right now. They need understanding. You know, even if it means you got to slack off on the discipline and the homework, but these kids need to have fun. So let's go to let's go to Christmas 1969. Christmas 1969. Okay. All right. It's the it's 10th of December, which is just before Christmas. And I I met my my wife to be when we were both 14 years old in high school, and then and. My senior year, I drifted off. She, I, I mean, I had to go. When I graduated high school, I, I, I you know, California surfer, and I had to go to Hawaii, right? I just, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm leaving, break it up, right? So I went to Hawaii, spent the summer surfing, you know. That's what you do when you're when you're 18 years old. So right. we were an off and on relationship, mostly off. When she went to college, I went to Vietnam. I was in the military, but I got back. So I got back. And in, in uh, 1969, and I was back in San Francisco, and I go, hey, I'm back. You know, she goes, where you been? You know, I, 
life goes on, right? So I, I kept asking her to, to marry me. I said, you know, you're the one that you know, I'm going to marry, right? I know that. I've dreamt it. And she kept turning me down. You know, she didn't want to talk about it. So that got my confidence really good. So I went out and bought a ring after getting turned down 10 times. I actually went out and spent $400 and bought a diamond ring. Only a foolish man or, or a stalker would do that, right? <laughs> you, know, you go out and buy a ring. I, I ain't taking no for an answer. So I, I show up at her house. It's 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 Christmas season. She's got a, a this girl Bev who's her roommate, and they've spent the entire day putting up a Christmas tree in their in their uh, uh, Twin Peaks apartment. I think it's Twin Peaks where they live. They had a beautiful view of San Francisco out the window. But they had a tree, and in the old days, I don't know if you remember this. Mark, you're old enough to know. Remember those old Christmas lights where they had one strand. In other words. If you had one light bulb and you had 400 bulbs or 500 bulbs, whatever amount of bulbs, if one bulb was out, thing was out. Strand, strand would, uh, wouldn't work. One wire, that was it. It wasn't individually done. So they had 800-plus lights on this tree. And they, they said they were – when I got there, they were frustrated. They were talking about – they've been working eight hours on this tree. They twinkled and touched every light. They've changed light bulbs. They've done everything. They can't get them to work. And I go, this is my opportunity, right? So I go over to him, and I'm looking right them, right in the eye, right? And then I reach back, and I said, now watch this. Basically, I'm telling him, okay, I'll fix it for you. Right now, I'll fix it. Don't worry about it. And I reach back. At random, I grab first bulb that my fingers hit and twist it, and all 800-plus lights come on, right? And I know it because I'm not looking at it, but I know because I'm looking at their faces. And they're like, you know, <laughs> so I figured, hey, look, you're never going to get any more lucky than that, right? Took the ring out of my pocket, got down on my knee, and asked my wife to marry me. And then she, she looked at me and says, well, anybody that lucky, I got I to gotta, I gotta marry, right? So, so that's what happens when you get turned down 10 times when you ask somebody to marry you, but you feel lucky. So, Mark, you started the thing off tonight about being lucky, and I'm going to ask you, Mark, how lucky do we feel tonight? What's what's going to go on here? What do you want to know? Ask. Um, Lord okay. McKenzie here. Ask. <laughs> okay. Well, it's, well uh, okay. Uh, congratulations on the 51st anniversary of your proposal. Thank you. Um Okay, maybe one of the most perplexing uh, questions would be, uh, do you have an explanation for the heavy breather from the last time you were on with Barbara? Okay, let's talk about that because... Not only her show, not, a, not her show, but there was one just days later where I was talking about demons. I don't know why it's Barbara. I was talking about ghosts or something else, but I was talking another demon story. And uh, the person that, I think it was Niche or somebody, and she took forever to edit it. And I said, what's the holdup? She says, well, I, I spent the last days trying to get all these 
sounds out of there. And I said, what do they sound like? So she says, okay, I got one left. I haven't, I haven't deleted this one yet. It wasn't on the main tape, but she just had it. So she played it. And it was, oh, oh. I'm talking about demons can't hurt me. And you hear this, oh, and it was like sporadic through this whole section of the tape. And with Barbara, we were Skyping each other, so we were looking at each other. So it wasn't either one of us doing it. And when it got I done, was on mute. Yeah. And, and then when we heard it being played, it was like, well, it sounded like somebody had a hot mic, you know, and somebody was breathing in a mic. Well, I looked at the thing, and just our names were on there. Yeah. That's all there was. And I've been on Skype before. It just shows the name of the people that are on there. And I think you looked, and there might have been another person on there. I don't know. But yeah. Uh, but we were the only three authorized people on there. But somebody was actually breathing. It was deliberate. It was loud. And that came just days after this other thing. So I, I finished that. I said, well, you know, maybe I don't want to tell demon stories anymore, possession stories, exorcisms. Uh, that was odd. Okay, so what's my theory on it? I really think that words are powerful. They create energy and vibration. So when I am talking, in particular, when I am talking about a subject matter, let's say I'm talking about healing that creates a certain vibration. If I'm talking about exorcism, that lowers the vibration. It's a whole different level. If I'm talking about demons, it's a whole different level. When I am talking about that, my energy, I was going to use the word motivates, but activates the reaction. It's not like these other entities are on another planet. So, I mean, they're not, they're all here. It's like, you don't go, go looking for these guys. What we don't understand is everything happens right now, right here. No time, no space, no, and I mean no space, literally. It means they're not out there. They're here. So when you have a conversation about a subject, that's why one should be very careful what you talk about, what you watch, what you read, what you do. So if you have somebody perpetually, let's take a serial killer that watches all these crazy movies all the time, and he reads crazy stuff, and he's thinking all this crazy stuff. He's creating an energy level of vibration around him that matches the monster that's growing within him. So sometimes, and I, and I say this from experience from working with people at Folsom Prison where I was a volunteer chaplain, uh, there are some very dangerous people in this world. And when you're around them, you could almost taste, feel, and touch that evil energy that is present within them. They may be smiling at you. They may be laughing at you. They may be, oh, eh, but you can feel it. It's just below the surface. One doesn't have to be that sensitive. Dogs pick it up. If you ever notice, sometimes dogs don't like certain people. I mean, it's just something about them that the mm-hmm. dog picks up on it. So I always had this thing that, you know, if a dog doesn't like somebody, I got to think twice about the person. <laughs> it's like, you know, 
maybe there's something. Sometimes it could just be fear. Some people are just fearful and it makes the dog uneasy. But a lot of times, uh, but then again, the question you got to ask Mark, which you should have jumped on, was, well, how about Adolf Hitler? He had two German shepherds. Okay, I rest my case. Doesn't go there. But I'm talking about in general, right? Because even badgers had dogs. I don't know if the dogs love them, but the dogs obey them. And then you got to ask yourself, those dogs almost have like an evil animal soul. It's like, you know, like guard dogs at a prison camp or something, you know. It's a different kind of dog than you would get if the dog was raised with a blind person or a comfort dog or, you know, a child's pet. So everything is all about energy. So those voices, we just activated and we woke them up. We challenged them. It was like, for example, when I was in one of my main trips to India, I was in an ashram. The guru went to to bed, and there was just a few of us disciples, devotees, hanging around there. And we had an old sacred fire that was going down, and we decided we were going to start telling ghost stories, you know, and demon stories. And all. These guys were telling all these stories, trying to outdo the other guy. And there was a guy that was a former rock star. I mean, a guy was going big time, and then he got drugs and alcohol, and so he was talking about when he got into that state that was going downhill with his career, that he experienced these demons and they were real and scared him and all that. And then there was this Indian girl that told this beautiful ghost story that was really spooky. I mean, it was just really good. And so then arrogant, arrogant me, remember Lord McDonald here, the, the arrogance of myself at this sacred place, I challenged the universe. I go, there's nothing that scares me. I've been blown up. I've been shot up. I've seen ghosts. I've been kidnapped by aliens, abducted on a spaceship. I mean, you name it. Uh, I've seen tigers. I've seen bear. I've seen it all, right? I make that statement at one of the more sacred locations of India. I just challenge the universe. Hey, universe, you can't scare me, right? So I set something up in motion, right? So sometimes you wake it up. And that's one time I did. I went back to the bungalow and the fire is out. Went back. I got a room all by myself. And I, I opened up the metal door and shined my flashlight in this dark room. And then sitting at the end of the bed was this divine guru that was staring at me like lasers coming out of his eyes. The lasers were hitting me, you know. Like, ching, I mean, literally like lasers, like there's a beam, right? And it shouldn't have scared me, but it did. It was like, you'd expect nothing. All of a sudden, you shine a light, and there's a guy sitting in a lotus position, staring at you, right? No shirt on, long black hair, you know, just boom, beam, and like, like nothing scares you? Okay, guy. It was like a challenge, right? And I go... I had the flashlight, and I throw it up in the air, kind of like that movie 2001 Space Odyssey where the, where the monkeys, the, you know, whatever, the apes, they throw the bone up, and it goes through the air and spins around. Well, this flashlight does that, spins around, spins around, and he's just sitting there, laser, literally laser-eyed on me, right? And my heart's going like this, you know, and I'm going, so I pick up the flashlight, and I shine it, and now he's gone. And I look around, and I shine it around. Nobody's there. And so I go, 
Thank God, because I had a reputation. They called me the general. Another story on why, but they called me the general because nothing frightens frightens the general, right? And so I I challenged it, made a big statement in front of all these people, and I looked around and said, thank God nobody saw it, right? Nobody will know. So the next morning, I'm walking across the ashram, and I hear the patter of little feet behind me, and there's this guru. And he comes up behind me, and he goes, Peter, I didn't think those things were supposed to scare you. I go, what? And he made me tell the story at breakfast, all, the, the whole group of people, I don't know, 7,500 people there, and I go. So then the guy that wasn't afraid of anything had to admit that, yes, it was heart pounding, but so sometimes you got to really be careful when you wake up. And that was waking up a good guy. I mean, you know, it could have been a real, you know, it was a good guy. But there's a fine, thin film of light between us and what we think is not us. Because in reality, it is all us. So people go, well, do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell? Do you believe in reincarnation? And I'm saying, yes and no. And they wouldn't mean yes and no. Well, if you believe this life is real, for you it is. And if you believe this life is real and you were born and you believe you die, then you believe in reincarnation, then you believe in karma. But in truth, none of that exists. Because since we're all one with this cosmic conscious force, we're all that one. We are all that one. There is only us. And when you push us together, there's just one. It's we. It's us. It's the I. The identification with the I no longer exists. So, yeah. So everything is occupying the same time in the same space. Now, I told it to my grandson when he was little, and he goes, okay, Grandpa, let me get this right. Let me ask you a question. I said, ask. He says, all right, there's no time and space. When was the first moment? When, when did God start this show? When's the beginning? I said, well, there's no beginning. And there is no end. And there's no way not even I can get a grasp of that because you were using your mind, you're using the brain, thoughts, to try to answer a question which is not possible. It's it's a, a question only to be answered if you didn't occupy uh, a consciousness, uh, an individual one. So I don't know if that, whatever the question was, there you go. So I'm off on that. Uh, <laughs> I forget what, uh, what I asked too, but um, yeah, you, you know, with this you know, ho- holiday season, you know, there have been some documented um, unexplained events. You know, Star Bethlehem you know, leading the Magi across the desert and stops and hovers over uh, the manger. Uh, I don't know. uh, What was uh, the star uh, doing? uh, Most stars 
or fixed. It's the earth that's moving. You know, uh, you know it's just something that's unexplained. Um, well, well, think about this. Think about World War One. Okay. There's a famous story which people can look up. I don't have the details in front of me here, but there was a story on a Christmas Eve, and it was you know going to be midnight. It was going to be Christmas. Where the Germans and Americans and French were the troops that were on each side of the line there fighting each other. The flare went up and the sky lit up for a long, long, long time. And, and the next thing you know, guys were coming out of foxholes. They, they, they left their weapons and, and, and both sides approached each other and shared, shared wine and cookies and, 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 and hugged and had conversations for, uh, I don't know, 20 minutes, a half hour, an hour, whatever it was. In the middle of this battle where they were fighting, and then that just that magic light came on and lit up for a long time where they all kind of walked out because the whole thing was lit up, you know, the field was lit up. And they celebrated Christmas when just minutes before they were trying to kill each other. So there's a case where light did move and the hearts did. Mm-hmm. And there are stories, because people keep looking for this big story. And I'm going, no, there's a lot of little stuff. I had this thing with my son, who's a California high patrolman. And when he first got on the on the force, he wanted to buy me a gift or something for, for Christmas. And, and I said, no, no. I said, you want to do something for Christmas for me? You do a good deed and share the story with me. I said, no, no, trust me. It'll, something will happen. Do a good deed. Share it with me. So I'll vicariously feel the joy that, that was there. So he, sh- he was working Christmas night, or Christmas Eve into Christmas night. And uh, towards the end of his shift in the early morning, the sun's coming up and everything. And he's driving down just past the Golden Gate Bridge. San Francisco Bay Area, and he sees this young guy standing alongside the road on the highway. You know, it's highway one. You can't be on the highway. It's against the law, you know, and he's out there walking along the edge of the highway. So, and if it's Christmas morning, he ain't going to bust this guy, right? You know, he ain't going to bust his chops. So he pulls over and talks to the guy, gets his ID, and looks up in the computer, finds out he'd been out of San Quentin like three months or something. But his home address was in Mill Valley, I think, just right there. It was only two or three miles from the guy's home address in a real nice, ritzy neighborhood. And so he starts talking to this kid. He goes, well, how, come, how come you're out on the streets? So I got no place to go. You know, I got out of jail, but he was in jail three years. And he got out, and he had no place to go. And he, he was too embarrassed to go see his parents. He never even told his parents he was in jail. He just disappeared for three years. And so my son goes, no, not on my watch. Get in the back seat. Takes, he looks up that address, doesn't call in to get approval or nothing, because what he's doing is against the rules. Basically, he's going to take this kid to his parents. He's going to transport this kid to his parents' house, right? Mm-hmm. So he gets to the parents' house, and he has a kid. He says, no. He gets out of the car and just has a kid stand there next to the car. He says, don't. Just don't move, stay here. So he knocks on the door, and this old couple comes to the door. And they keep looking out there at this kid, you know, looking out there. And 
My son tells him the story. He says, I found your son homeless, living on, walking down the highway. And they just broke down and cried and everything. And they, and they told my son. They said they've been praying for three years for their son to come home. And they'd just been praying that morning. That's the only thing they wanted for Christmas was to have their son come home. And there, their son stood on the sidewalk next to the police car. So my son signaled for him, give me a hand signal, come on over. And then he walked away to give privacy and got in his vehicle and kind of was writing his book or something and he watched them hug. Now, there's a lot of ways that story could have went, but it didn't. These people could have said, we don't want nothing to do with this kid. I mean, he, you know, he stole from us. He did all these great. I mean, it could have been a big fight. They could have called into his, his sergeant. He'd been in big trouble. But he went with his heart. It was Christmas Day. It's Christmas morning. How do you not follow your heart on Christmas? And that is the kind of stories that people tell me. So it's, it's not the big miracle. Because you know, people look at that, well, that's a lot of coincidences. You know, that's a lot of coincidences. That's a lot, you know what? But it all lined up. And it all lined up. My son didn't have to do any of that. It all lined up. It was the right cop stop. It's the right time on the freeway. So that's how life goes. And so for Christmas, like right now, this year for Christmas, I'm going to tell you right now, even though people are talking about bad times for Christmas, there's people out there that are unemployed. There's people out there with not, not enough food. There's people that can't pay the rent. There's people that are homeless out there sleeping in their cars. And I'm going to tell you that Christmas, the spirit of Christmas, whether you're Christian, Hindu, Jew, it doesn't matter what religion you are. It's that, let's call it the Christ consciousness spirit. It's that spirituality that comes this time of year. Whatever religion you are, if you tune into it, it's there for everybody, all religions. Things will happen within you. You will have your own miracle. You'll be forgiven. You'll be loved. You'll be hugged. Something will happen. Somebody will smile at you. Somebody will give you something to eat. Something will happen. And if nothing else, there's that eternal wellspring of peace. What greater joy than to feel peace? Most people don't have peace in their life. They're angry people. They blame people for things that happen to them. They're, they they got all kinds of things going on. And right now there's a lot of anger, especially if people pay attention to politics, which I try to avoid. So I'm telling people, hang on this year because Surviving this year is going to be the greatest gift. And we got people out there that are gift givers. Think of the beautiful stories that are going to take place years from now. People write books and you'll find out about the doctors, the nurses, and the ambulance driver and the police officer. Yeah, we'll hear about those stories. But there's going to be stories about the people that helped children, helpless children, and people that helped uh, an older person and went and visited somebody later on, stories are emerging because every time you have something evil and bad happen, there's a balance. That means good 
Light comes to fill the darkness, right? Goodness comes to, to take on the evil. There's a balance in nature. There's a balance in the spiritual world. The energies will try to balance out. So as bad as it gets, it gets equally as beautiful. It's a matter of just opening your awareness. If you see, okay, this is a stupid story, but it relates. I'm in India. And in fact, I even saw a movie. There was a Disney movie that was kind of similar to this, but I, I had the same kind of experience where I'm someplace and there's, I'm walking with this holy man and we're walking through this bad neighborhood. And it smells like garbage. It smells like human waste. It's terrible. And there's poverty and people suffering everywhere. And this guy's smiling and he's just so joyous and happy. And, and I go, and I point out all the garbage around him, right? I point out the people dying and doing this and that. And he looks at me and he says, see over there, the cracks of that street growing between the cracks. There's a wildflower. I smell that. I see it. I focus on that. And see up there in the sky? There's a cloud. It's shaped like a it's shaped like a little rabbit. You know, it just brings me. And you see it. He just keeps pointing out all these little things around me. I'm going, what? 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 He says, Wherever you look at and focus at, that's what you're going to see. If you see the garbage around you and that's what you focus at, that's all your life's going to be is garbage. But I can walk through the garbage dump and I can smell the petunias growing in somebody's yard, you know, block away. It's what you focus on. So this year is what we got to look at as a society, as a family of man, as a tribe. We got to focus on how do we reach out and help our fellow brother, our sister? How do we help each other? And I think we're going to find ways and we will survive this. And it's, to me, this is the most beautiful time of the year, no matter what religion you are, because love always finds a way to, to be born. So the whole story about birth in the manger, to me, it's about birth of love in the heart. That's the true manger. The wise man is always looking for that in others. He's trying to find that love in the hearts of others. So wise people look for love in the heart. And that's where that's where this holiday should go. And, yeah. uh, uh, Laird, uh, there is, you know, the stories that you were talking about uh, sound like Leonard Cohen's song about uh, the crack is where the light gets in. And you know, it's like, you know, some of our uh, you know, friends, uh, like Sereni, post that. And, uh, you know, her uh, music room. It, it, what you're talking about is, you know, just give the... the the light that you know, a little chance to enter into your life. You know, you can contrast that with the uh, 
you know, young people at the uh, Stone Circle. Uh, probably that Stone Circle wasn't even built for this uh, same purpose that that they were, you know. Uh, they were doing grieving about. Yeah, they were they were doing something like a Ouija boards or something. They were doing something trying to divine spirits. Totally amateurs, but I'm telling you, even an amateur can do that with the wrong, terrible results. So. Mm-hmm. Reverse of that is true. You try to create love and you try to bring light. Your intentions are very powerful. So that's why people got to be careful. Your intentions. What are your intentions? So this holiday, all of our intentions, all of our intentions should be for literally, this is going to sound hokey, world peace and brotherly love. And all. No. Really, we should all be focused on outside of ourselves. Let's let's give what we got to others. The real gift is not a toy to a kid or, you know, a box of chocolate to your mailman or somebody. The real gifts come from the heart. I mean, there are people – I'll tell you what. My, my unofficial official job, uh, I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, 3.30, whatever, and – if my computer's on or if my phone is on, I'm already working. There are people in India and Germany and, and, and England and Australia. That part of the world's already hitting me. And then the East Coast hits me. But I'm busy until I turn it off at night. People all reaching out. And you know what I've, I've figured out what they all want? They don't want me to tell, tell them, here's what you got to do. Here's a solution. Almost all of them just want somebody to hear them. Somebody just wants to be understood. That's one of the greatest gifts we can give somebody. Even a crazy person wants to be understood. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a crazy person's story. All right. Uh, yeah, just think about it. I was thinking of crazy people. There was this group of people trying to help this, this older woman. And she kept calling these these guys, you know, these these yogi guys, and saying, uh, "I got all these people walking by my house in Miami Beach, and uh, everybody's reading my mind. Even the cabs are going by. They all know what I'm thinking. I had no privacy anymore." And, and, and they were trying to work with her and give her you know, meditations and stuff. And, and and then finally they go, "You know what? We're going to stick Bill with her." <laughs> well, call Reverend Bill, right? So she calls me, right? And so sometimes you have to fight crazy with crazy. So what I told her, because, you know, she seemed like an, actually, besides this thing to read in her mind, she actually had a college degree she in engineering or something. I mean, she was an intelligent person, but she was, you know, same people reading her mind. So I go, you know what? I got an answer for you when she was on the phone with me. She goes, what? I said, it's foolproof. I said, it's going to sound odd, but you follow this to the exact letter that I'm going to give it to you, and I guarantee that you'll never have the problem again. You just do this. She says, what do you want me to do? you got to go to the store, and you got to get a roll of tinfoil. If you can't find tinfoil, then get aluminum foil. Really? Get a big one. You know, roll. You're going to come back, and you're going to mold it around your head like a cap. And then you put your hat over it. But wherever you go, your, your, your skull is contained within this tinfoil foil." 
Nobody has to see it because you don't want them to know that you know, they can't listen. But I guarantee you, as soon as you put that on your head, it's a shield, and nobody will be able to hear your thoughts. Three weeks go by, I don't hear anything from her. Friday, she calls up, she says, thank you, Reverend Bill. I can sleep now. I've gained weight. Uh, I'm able to go to work. Everything's working out great, and nobody knows, but underneath my hat, I wear a hat all the time. I got that there. It works. Nobody's listening to my mind. Okay. So sometimes crazy advice is what the people need. In the end, the shaman, the witch doctor, they heal somebody. They tell them, drink this potion, you know, take these leaves of this flower and this part of the animal and you burn it. And, you know, they give you all kinds of concussions. In truth, the real healer, by saying you're healed, you're healed. If that's, but most people can't get there unless they have something in their hands. So, like in Western medicine, doctor always gives you a pill of some kind, right? Right. <laughs> do, do that. You know, you go to Arabic medicine. They got you. Got to do this. You got to do puja. You got to do this. You got to burn this. You got to. So, whatever medicines that you believe in for your healing, the healing all still takes place the same way. Your higher self heals you. Okay. So, if Somebody has great, for example, and this is not anything I do, and I'm just using this as an example, but there's people who watch my YouTube videos, and they'll write me, or they'll call me, or Skype me, or Zoom me, and they go, oh, Reverend Bill, Reverend Bill, thank you for healing me. Like, what are you talking about? Well, I watched your video, and I got healed, uh, you know, and this thing here, or you stopped my suicide, or you did this, you got rid of my depression, you, you know, you got rid of uh, uh, whatever disease I had or something. And I try to tell them, it wasn't me. It's your belief in whatever I was saying. It's your belief in me. Again, it goes back to them. Because without their belief, we're all wasting our time, including the doctor. If you believe in a doctor, right, and you believe in Western medicine, it helps a lot. But So that's why it's really important when a doctor, when you go to a doctor and you got a, a disease and the guy goes, oh, this cancer is so bad, I only give you six months. Guess what happens? Six months. You die. They die. That guy told me they believe. I, I got friends. You got six months. They die. You can't convince them. Oh, my doctor says I got six months. Therefore, I got six months. I might make. I might only make five of that. But you know, the six months. And I can even make six and a half or seven. That's like. So doctors really got to be careful. And that goes for because I'm dealing with a couple people now that are that uh, have been coming to me and they have relatives, a mother and somebody else has got a, a son in a coma. And, and I'm trying to tell them, whatever you say around them and whatever the doctor says earshot around them affects them. So if the doctor's telling you, hey, this guy he ain't going to wake up, he's going to be an idiot, blah, blah, blah. That person's still in there and the audio, you know, the, the audio, the, 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 the hearing, that's still, that's like one of the last things to go. They still hear. So if that person's in a coma and they keep hearing over and over these dreaded conversations with the nurse and the doctor and people around them that, you know, they ain't got a chance. They ain't got a chance. Now, by the same token, sometimes it's your time to go and it's your time to go and you you can't, you can't get rid of that, uh, 
date that's on, you know, it's like a milk carton. You get that date out of milk. Yeah. Fires. So you still got an expiration date, but we can help heal ourselves. And we can also make ourselves sick. So let's talk about making yourself sick because it's just the opposite of healing. Okay. Let's talk about, there's a lot of causes for illnesses, but let's talk about one of the more simple ones, the mind, the emotions. For years, for about six, seven decades, I was a vegetarian. No meat, you know, no liquor, no tobacco, no sugar, no salt. I mean, and you'd think, oh, this guy's a perfect living example of a healthy body, right? <laughs> How could this guy have heart disease? How could this guy have 12 major heart attacks and open heart surgery and eight stents? How could that happen, right? And then one day, somebody was telling me this story about all their problems. And I, and I verbalized, I go, I verbalized what I always say in my mind. I said, this breaks my heart. My heart hurts for them. It's killing my heart to hear this. I really want to help them, but it's killing my heart. And I realized I've been saying that for about 40 years. All these people have helped with their problems. And my thought was always, it's killing my heart. And so think about that. So the body listens to my mind saying all this stuff is trying to protect my heart, right? So now... The heart is going, wow, there's there's things trying to come and kill me. I'm going to build a barrier around my heart. Thus, I needed eight stents, right, <laughs> and blocked arteries. So it was blocking off the blood flow going to the heart. It was setting up a dam, a, a door, keeping out a fence, keeping out the world from my heart. And and I heard myself, and this, and this person just verbalized it back at me. He says, you realize what you're doing. Every time you do that, you give it an affirmation. And I go, what do you mean? Every time you say that, you're affirming that it's killing your heart. You're manifesting a bad heart. Wow. Never thought about that. I, I, I know three doctors that specialized in different things. One specialized in heart disease. One specialized in cancer. The other guy specialized brain surgery and tumors. Guess what they each died of? Exactly what they specialized in. Exactly what they specialized in. The cancer guy died of cancer. The tumor guy got a tumor in the brain. And, and, and you know, it was all the same. What they focused on, what they concentrated, what they feared in others, they created in themselves. So one has to be really careful. So when you tell children when they're little, now let's talk about the mental. When you tell children that they're stupid, they're dumb, they can't do anything right, they're lazy, they're always going to be, you know, nobody, nobody loves them, they're ugly. All these things feed your concept of who you are. Because we just talked about the physical. Now we're now we're feeding the concept of the mental, you know, for, for a different image. We set up children who later become adults with low self-esteem or with anger issues or with great hurts and, and, and this void in their heart. They're not getting the love. They're not getting the attention. They're stupid. They're ignorant. They're whatever they are. They can't do anything. They're, 
They got no reliance on themselves. They can't trust their own judgment because they're stupid. When I'm in a shopping mall or something, I hear some parent yelling at a kid, you stupid little, you know, and I'm going, you can't do it, but you want to go over and slap them around and go, what are you doing? People don't realize what they're doing to children. So we do this all the time. Teachers do it. That's why when teachers when teachers are told that all the students in their class are, are low, achiever, low achievers, but they have high IQs and great potential. You've heard that story many times when they've done that. Sure. So the teacher thinks, well, these are high IQs, some of the highest IQ students in the school, and they're low achieving. Well, I'm a good teacher. I can pull them up to that. They, it's all possible, right? So she believes in them. And next thing you know, they all get good grades. They all learn, right? Same thing works in reverse. You tell them they're all stupid in your class, and they all go, Poof. expectations. Well, uh, you, know, you know, your stories uh, it reminded me of uh, Milton's line from Paradise Lost, uh, you know, the mind can make a heaven out of a hell or a hell out of a heaven. Oh, think about that. When you you go on a trip someplace with, with a group, a family, let's say, whatever. Somebody doesn't want to be there. The teenage girl doesn't want to be there because she wants to be with her boyfriend. She can go to Disneyland. You can take her to Hawaii, and it's a living hell, and she's going to make it a hell for everybody else, right? It's like she doesn't see all the good stuff. And somebody else could be in a prison camp, Nazi concentration camp, like that famous philosopher that wrote all those great books. Uh, can't say Solzhenitsyn? No, well, he, there's another one, but the one that was in the Nazi concentration camps. And uh, he survived, but he was always happy. And people couldn't figure out because he actually, when he was in the concentration camp, he gave away most of his food to others to help. And he he didn't hate the guards. He gave love to the guards. He gave love to everybody. And when they they freed him up, his body weight was like 20% more than anybody else in the camp. And he ate less. He was healthier, and he was upbeat and smiling and making jokes. And he was while he was in the camp, he was teaching people Jewish religion stuff. He was helping people. He was counseling people. He always thought of other people when he was there. And so for him, it was an inconvenience, a terrible, ugly inconvenience. But he made it a place where joy could exist in his heart because in his immediate touch of those people immediately around him, he made bliss and joy and peace with the immediate people that he could touch. He couldn't reach everybody, but the handful of people he was going to take care of. So we do that. Vietnam. I was in Vietnam, and uh, you had guys that moan and groan. They count the day. Oh, I got 325 days. I got 322 days. I mean, and every day was full 24 hours, and it was they hated it. They hated the weather. They hated everything. I mean, even in combat, I noticed beautiful palm trees. I noticed some monkey jumping someplace. You know, it was like, even the weather. I'm going, this is beautiful. I, I love the heat, you know. I made up my mind I was going to love the heat. I was going to love the sweat. It, it just. And 
the friendships are so much deeper. And I'd say, geez, you make a friend here instantaneous. It's like it's a deep thing, right? Which is dangerous because people get killed and then you just made a good friend. But I try to see the good in everything and the good in everybody. And I, and I try to do the same thing when I was working in Folsom Prison because I, I would teach these guys this. Talk about making heaven and hell. There's guys that are doing time at, in jail. And, and there's guys that uh, are, are manifesting another level. In other words, I tell guys, you put up a sign in, 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 the, in, the, in the chapel and says, come lecture tonight on how to escape from prison. <laughs> Everybody shows up, right? And so what we're just trying to teach you to do is get out of the get out of the brain, get out of the body. That you don't have to be twenty four seven in a prison cell, a prisoner. When you close your eyes and you teach them to meditate and you teach them to visualize other places. You know, for those that wouldn't really meditate really good, they weren't spiritual, you know, religious, I teach them to, to visualize and fish, visualize walking on the beach, visualize whatever it was, right? In those moments that they could visualize that, their body could not tell the difference between doing that for real, walking in the, the sunshine and the beach, and imagine it. Physiologically, their body would adapt and they would be just as relaxed. Their heart rate would go down, their breathing would go down, their mind would get more relaxed. You had the same benefits as actually doing it. Now, if you added in a deep meditation to that on top of that, and they may be physically in jail, but that's how you succeed. That's somebody like Mandel, right? In South Africa, he was in jail for what? 17, 20 years, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. How did he survive? Because he wasn't there. You have to take your imagination out. And I learned that. When I was eight years old, and I was put in a county hospital, a ward of the county, and I had all these diseases and everything, I was almost one year in, I was going to say prison, one year in the hospital. Now, for an eight-year-old going on nine, I celebrated my ninth birthday there. I also celebrated Christmas there, Thanksgiving there, Groundhog Day there, Easter there, Fourth of July. When you're on total bed rest, you're not allowed to get out of the bed. You have no television. This is the 1950s, 53, 54. No television, no radio, no record player, no books, no magazines, no coloring books, no toys. And 80% of the time, nobody else in any other bed by myself, mostly. Staff coming in. Wake you up in the morning at 6 o'clock when you change shift. Bum, 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 bum. They make you clean yourself up and they feed you. And then they come through and they give you shots. The only time you see anybody the whole day, the only human touch you get is a shot. Or somebody's cutting you and stitching you or something. That's it. And then they, put, they turn the lights on at 9. So the whole day you're laying on the bed. Can't go, can't go, can't go look out the window. It's, too, it's in another whole area. So I learned 
at eight, nine years old ought to just lay there quietly and totally use the mind, the mind as a playground. And in my mind, I went to India. In my mind, I went all kinds of places. And I had beautiful dreams and I visualized things. And then I taught myself to, you know, continued different meditation techniques that I had learned and retaught myself. And I would spend the entire day emotionally or mentally. So that's why I taught these prisoners. And that's why during this, this epidemic where we're quote-unquote prisoners in the house here in California, uh, I've trained for this. <laughs> I can handle not going out and doing a darn thing. It's, it's all the same to me. Anyway, so that's that. Your story about and the only time you're uh, yeah, being touched is when you were being uh, get, given a shot. Um, that seems very similar to how the response that you know, the people in the uh, senior centers are uh, telling the uh, medical staff is, you know, they'd like to be able to see family, touch, you know, hug the family. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, you have a lot of people saying that, that, that is the isolation is just a huge issue in itself. No, you you've hit a nail on the head because human touch, babies will not thrive. They'll actually die unless they're cuddled. That's why these babies that are born premature or something, they have grant they have foster grandparents come in and just rock a baby, hold right. a baby, touch a baby, and those babies those babies that get that attention will gain weight. They will thrive. They'll get the vitality. They'll the science improve physical health changes without human touch. Now think about what we're doing to people that we throw in prison and you have put them in a cell by themselves, isolation. People think that's not great punishment. That's like one of the worst punishments you can do to somebody. They don't have anybody they even talk to. Uh, uh, People aren't uh, designed for no uh, the, the isolation and uh, you know what uh, what we're living in now is actually unnatural. Yeah, it is because we are a a, f- a family. It's just a family kind of thing. We've always been, you know, the family. The little first it was a family, then it's a couple families together it becomes a tribe. It's just a community, but it's all interwoven. And uh, but. When you now here's the, here's the other flip side of that. When you really want to break the barriers that hold us in time and space, one has to venture down that other road that you say is unnatural. That's why somebody goes to a cave in the Himalayan mountains for 20 years, meditating in a cave by themselves, whatever. Uh, at some point, isolation for these super yogis. It'll either drive them crazy. That's a possibility. They'll crack that wall of darkness and find the light. 
It's two possibilities. That's why you can see some gurus that they, they kind of go off someplace, right? But it's like if you're really isolated, single focus trying to find something, you will. And there's great power if you can shut off the mind and shut off the senses. Then isolation becomes your greatest teacher and friend. But if you can't shut off the senses, seeing, hearing, touching, feeling, all these other things, if you can't shut that off, then it's a torture. So it's trying to teach people to ease into that mode where you can shut down for short periods of time because the mind needs to be shut off. It's exhausting. Thoughts going through your head all the time. It's nonstop. Even when you're sleeping, the, the mind's still going. So when you get a really restful period, it's like when you're really focused and concentrated on something, you're sitting. I've seen fishermen do it. You see a fisherman, he's just, his pole sitting there. He ain't fishing. You know, fishing's like one of the greatest excuses to do nothing. I'm fishing. No, you're not. You're sitting there just, Laughing. I've had a few days like that. Yeah. But it's a wonderful experience. But you don't feel guilty about it. I'm fishing, right? You know. Um, so when we can get outside of us, outside of the I, we're on a different trajectory. Now you're you're moving, you're expanding, you're expanding your awareness, and you're tapping into your higher self. You're tapping into the greater consciousness. You're always tapped in. It's just the degree and the level of your awareness that you are. But that's how you build the awareness. Okay. You're just talking about um, a degree of awareness. And one of the interesting stories from your book was um, the one with uh, Gail and you're doing all this phone phone calls. It's really interesting that that, you you conclude the section with her about uh, maybe, you know, we we you know we've been friends through out time it's really interesting when uh you know with you know people can't go anywhere now you you start meeting more people on uh you know facebook or you know, so someone contacts you know like you know you where you contacted barbara to yeah, possibly be a yeah. guest. Yeah, it's interesting. I am in contact with more people now. Yeah. Busier people-wise than when I can move around. Because I was traveling right. across the United States, across the world. Every other week I was on an airplane going someplace to drive my truck. And now, with this convenience of me sitting home, I, I can have multiple conferences, talks. Uh, I, I'm Finishing this up, and I'm, I'm and I'm having to send some stuff to to a group in in Maui that I'm speaking to next month. Uh, so there's all these things going on, 
But the story with Gail is interesting. Let's let's talk about that because that hits home at five or six different places. There's a there's a case where Gail Lynn's this very famous uh, novelist writes thrillers. There's a couple movies that she's done, but thrillers and uh, you know spy type stuff. And I I didn't know her, but somebody thought I should know her. They said, mm-hmm. oh. You know, this is a lady that, you know, you should meet her and she should read your book. So one of my good friends gave her a copy of one of my books. And that was my autobiography. And Gail goes, hey, okay, well, thank you. I mean, yeah, she, I mean, she had a thousand books to read. And, it, you know, it was like, it was my first book and it didn't have that great of a book cover. And it was, you know, anyway. It didn't impress her. So it sat on her dresser for six months, nightstand, and was buried under about 10 books. And then one day she was going, what is this thing? So she picks it up, and then one thing leads to the next thing. She can't put it down, and she goes to a restaurant, and she reads it, and then loses it at the restaurant, and uh, has to go back to the restaurant to find a book. There's a book that she was going to throw away anyway, and all of a sudden, she had to finish this book because it hit her and she started crying. And, and the book just really emotional. So anyway, so that's the story I got from her. I didn't know her where she was. She contacted my friend and found out my phone number. And on Mother's Day, 2000 and whatever year it was, four or five or something, six, uh-huh. she calls me up. She goes, is this Bill McDonald? She says, well, you don't know me. You know, I, I write books, I, you know, and she introduced herself and, and said, oh, okay, yeah, I've seen that movie. I've read that. Okay, I know those books, yeah. And, and, she, and, and she's trying, she says, I've read your book and I really want to, it's, 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 I want to help promote it. I want to market it. I want to help you rewrite it and make it professional. I want to get you, I want to do all this great stuff for you. And then I interrupt her and I said, no, 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 no. This conversation is not about that. No, 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 no. I said, no, no. And, and I said, and I just stopped her. I said, now think about this. Here she is. She's calling me up, right? And now I'm going to sound like a crazy man with her. And I go, do you have an owl, some kind of piece of art that's an owl in your house? She goes, no, 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 no. And she kept going. And I interrupted her. And I said, no, you got an owl. It's either by your front door or your back door. No, 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 no. And she's, and she's getting irritated. And I said, no, I insist. I said, your sliding glass door, your back door, outside, you got a metal sculpture of an owl. She goes, no. And then she, she's got the phone and she walks outside and I hear this, what? Because that's exactly what she's got. On her, on her second story patio, sliding glass door, there's this metal sculpture of an owl that she bought 20 years before when she was with her husband and he was kind of controlling and everything apparently or something, but she wanted to show that, you know, she could make a decision. So she bought this on her own, this piece of art. And and then she put these gems in the the eyes of it and everything. And so that was her like, uh, I I, I can't be controlled. I'm a woman that could do stuff. Right. And she put it out there 20 years. She was sitting out there apparently. Right. She forgot about it. And she goes, how'd you know it was there? You've never been to my house. You don't even know where I live. And I said, okay. So then I gave her a bunch more stuff. 
And then and she goes, well, do you interpret dreams? And I said, try me. She says, well, I've had this dream, reoccurring dream at night where these whirling dervishes, you know, whirling dervishes, these guys in the Middle East that they got these like skirts and they twirl around when their meditation is, is whirling. I'm trying to think of what religion that is. Somebody will know. Somebody that's out there will know and answer that for us when they make comments on this. But whirling dervishes, look it up. And she thought it was about that. So, and I go, no, it's not about that. She said, oh, I said, look, you asked me to interpret it. Here's what it's about. I said, they're dancing around you and they're reaching out to you. They want you to dance. And it's not dance. It's the dance of life. Because she was just recently a widow and she's been pulling back, not doing anything, staying in the house. And I said, no, this is the time for you to get out and to dance. She says, what do you mean dance? I said, life is like dance. And, and I tried to give her a thing, and I picked up one of my poetry books. I do write poetry books, too. And I, I took one of the poems, and I read it, and I said, this is similar, but not exactly what I want to say. It's about engaging in life, the dance, getting on the dance floor and all that stuff. And, I, and then I, I stopped, and I said, you know what? The right answer will come later on. I'll send you the right answer later, but this, this, is, not the, this is not the example I wanted to give you. And it was funny because we talked five hours on the phone. And when I hung up, I went to my email. And there was a, from a, a former MP, Vietnam vet. He was an MP in Vietnam, tough guy. And he sends me, he says, hey, what do you think? These are really neat words to this country and western song. Apparently there was a country and western song back then. I can't remember what it was. But it was about getting on. You know, let, getting on with life. You got to get on the dance floor of life, you know, and, you know, and you got to let it hang out. And it was all about fun and dancing, but it was all about life. And he says, well, and he sent me the lyrics. And I go, boom, and I saw the time that he said it. It was the exact time I said, well, I'm not going to answer this right now because the right answer will come later. It was the exact time I said that he sent that email to me. So I forwarded that to her and she goes, oh my gosh. So meanwhile, I'm still talking to her for that five-hour period, and I said, you know, I'm talking to you, and I'm getting this vision in my mind's eye of a rosebud that's trying to open up. You know, the rosebud, smell the rose until the rosebud opens up, and then you smell the fragrance. And I said, you're like a rosebud that wants to open up. And life you know, you could smell the fragrance of life and everything else. And you're like that rosebud. You need to open up so people can smell the, the love within you and all. I went through this big explanation about that. And then she stopped me and she says, I smell roses. She goes, where's that coming from? So she's walking around with her phone around the house. Everywhere she goes, it smells fragrance of roses. For 72 hours after that, she smelled roses in her house. So it was one thing, it was like, they read my book, I go into more, but there was like a whole bunch of stuff like that happened, of course. Now she believes everything I wanted to say, right? Well, what else you got to say, right? But there was also an old friendship there, because that's where you were taking this thing originally. But she was an old friend, and that's how I could read her. It's the only way I could explain it. But it was like 
I'd never been to her house before then. I went to her house about a year later, and I knew where everything was at. It was just like been there, right? Because I already saw it when I was on the phone. Don't ask me how you see it on the phone. What sense do you use to see it? I just, I, I see it. End of story. But there's a lot of people I meet that they open their hearts to me because they come and they've asked for help. Therefore, I can read them and I can help them. If somebody comes to me and they're protecting their identity, their emotions, who they are, I don't trespass. So I, I do read people, but when people don't want to be read, that's like violation. It's like reading somebody's thoughts when you're eavesdropping on them. That's not right. But if somebody's made a motion and a gesture or actually said it, that they really want help from you, they want to understand their problem and everything else, so then I will read them to a different level because to help them, I really understand. So when people call me up or Skype me or Zoom me or email me, um, sometimes I'll ask something stupid. Like I'll say, you know, send me a picture of yourself. Why? You know, just, just send me, just humor me. Send me a picture of yourself. But they don't realize that when I get a picture of them, because some people are hard to read. So if I get a picture, it opens up, and then I, I am strong enough to read them. But some people on a phone, I can read them. Or you talking about your parents or somebody else in your life, if that person, even though they're distant and they're not connected immediately with us, I can read them because you're opening a channel for them. So, and that's not magic. Because it really gets down to what I originally said at the beginning of this interview. It's all about energy and vibration. And since we're all connected, ultimately as you connect up to your higher self, you keep connecting and keep connecting. It's all one. It's, just a, it's a big matrix. Like a web. It's all one, though. I mean, it's just one. We make hard, life harder for ourselves by identifying everything that's separate from ourselves. This computer separate from me. You're separate from me. You know, tomorrow separate from me. The moon. I mean, it's, they're, they're objects. But they're all mind stuff. Yeah. It, 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 the, yeah. Your use of the word channel to explain that connection uh, it's just really interesting. It just I I don't know if it's amplified by uh, the technology. Uh, it yeah I I guess it can be the same in person. You know people you know, just uh, get married the next day. You know but it, it, it yeah reading people is an art. It really is. Uh, and basically, a dog reads us. Let's let's get down to basics. A, okay. dog, a dog reads you. Dog knows when you're mad at it. You know, it's when it's loved. You know, it knows when to come around. Knows when to go away. Um, dogs read people pretty good. And are they more smarter than us? 
Uh, they can see things differently. They hear different sounds than we hear. Dog whistles, we can't hear it, right? So there's a whole right. spectrum of sound out there we don't hear. Certain insects and birds uh, see hundreds more colors than we do. We see the basic spectrum of the rainbow, but there's there's other species out there on this planet, Earth, that see multiple colors and, and wavelengths and vibrations, basically gamma waves and this kind of waves, cosmic waves. I mean, you know, it's, it's we don't see but just a small spectrum of anything. Now, if you add what we don't see uh, and what we don't hear, and then you look at space itself, there's a real anomaly. What is space? If you look at an atom, you know, you got a nucleus, and then you got an electron floating around out there. No matter how, what small area, there's distance between it. There's, there's nothing solid between the electron and the neutron. It's not, and then if you look at the electron, it's not solid at all. And neither is the nucleus. It's all empty, right? And everything is made out of that. So when you stand up on the, on the, on the earth, or on the floor, if you're not solid, why don't you fall through? You're both not, the earth's not solid, you're not solid, why don't you just fall through? Energy within you repulses the energy in the other object. It's almost like reversing two magnets. So otherwise you don't fall through. But if you have the control to change and reverse the plurality and the magnetism and the energy within yourself. You can fall through anything. You can walk through a wall. Okay? So, uh, what is space? <laughs> There's, what, is it, what is emptiness? What's nothing? Nothing is something. Right? Everything is something or everything is nothing. So it's all mind stuff. If you didn't have a mind with all the senses, you wouldn't see any of that. Now, if you're in a different plane, a different dimension, astral world, causal world, rainbow body world, body of light, now you have different abilities, different energy. You're vibrating just like on the earth, Fish, they vibrate at a certain level and they have to stay in the water. They can't come out. They can survive very long. Birds fly in the air. Elephants walk on the ground. Everything's got its place, right? In these interdimensional cosmos within us and around us, uh, they all vibrate at a different level. And they all exist right here, right now. That's what people don't understand. It's like, Reverend Bill, how'd you know that was going to happen? That's, you know, you knew that a year before. What's going on? Everything is happening now, and all someone has to do is slide on the scale. It's all light. It's all vibration. It's all energy. So all you got to do is, it's like, life is, let's get old tech, because I'm old tech. A VCR tape, right? You've got a VCR tape. And I bring you this movie. Your whole life is this VCR tape. 
you don't see nothing on it, right? Because you have got a machine. So you need a life, you need a breath, you need a birth. All right, so now you're the machine, right? You only see what's focused on that little magnetic strip right there that goes on the screen. And you forget, you don't you don't see any longer what happened before, and you don't see the future of that tape. But it's all there already. Your life is a VCR tape. It's all there already. All you got to do is remember the future. You just have to remember tomorrow. That's the trouble. People don't remember. It's funny. That's my new book. I still remember tomorrow. I have trouble remembering where I put my keys at and remember what I did yesterday and what I had for breakfast. But I still remember tomorrow. That's easy. So it is also possible to slide into the past. So it's just as easy to read the future as it is to read the past. The only trouble with reading the past is people have a, a lot of imagination and people imagine they were this person and that person and everybody thinks there's somebody rich and famous from the past and they were all celebrities from the Bible and everywhere else. And I kind of laugh when everybody tells me, I was this guy, I was that guy, I walked with Jesus, I did that. You know, but here's the funny truth of it. Since I believe that we're only one of us, we're all one, that anything you say you were, I was too. We were both, you know, we're both Jesus. We're both Buddha. We're both Hitler. We're both everything because it's all God. And if we're all one, that anything that was anybody ever, that's you. But what happens is we, in time and space, and realize when I talk about creation, you wouldn't have creation without time and space, right? Time gives you memories. Time gives you life and death. Time gives you past and future. If you don't have time, there is no past and future. How do you get a handle on that? How do you explain that to anybody? This is not about explanation. The only way you're aware of these things and you can handle it is if you experienced it. So when you have an experience where you could slide into the past and meet yourself in the past, which I did, or you slide into the future, I did, or you move anywhere along that spectrum, or you have an experience of samadhi where you become one with everything that you've observed or anything, that's, anything that you, to say see or touch or feel, that's wrong because you just one with everything. I mean, there's that knowing sense of total absorp- absorption. You've been absorbed by, you've been absorbed by love, by light, and, and you are one. So everything's an illusion. Even illusion is an illusion. It's like somebody says you're delusional. Everybody is. It's all delusion. It's all illusion. Um, it is what it is, as they say, as the great masters say. It is as it is. But you've you got to live in this world. That's, that's the rules of this game of creative existence this creative life that we're in, this material world, you have to have a body. And that was, that's what keeps you in this present dream. And then when you die and you go to, you call it heaven, you call it anything you want, 
wherever you go next, astro, in an astral body or whatever, you still retain that, that self-identity. Therefore, you retain a body. you got an astral body. You still got a body when you got a casual body. You still got a body when you're a rainbow body, light, whatever. So as long as you got that self, that self-awareness, you've separated yourself from God. And actually, you've separated yourself from your real self. It's like the ocean. If you take a cup of the ocean out and you take it ashore and you, you set it in your kitchen, that cup says, I'm a cup of water. Here I am, right? No. It's always the ocean. No matter how far you take it away, it's always the ocean. That is the same thing as what you took it from. With what you you were just discussing with uh, the spectrum, oneness, uh, you know, with the universe, you know, know, tonight's message, uh, you covered a lot of... uh, all all these uh, just different religions basically everyone's just trying to get to the same place let's let's talk about different religions first off God has no religion Mm -hmm. Jesus wasn't Christian Buddha wasn't Buddhist oh oh my god he wasn't Uh, none of these guys all these founders of religions, basically the followers started them. But spirituality, which I think this newer generation of people uh, are less, impl- uh, they're less inclined to be spending time in the Sunday pew than they would in the past. But it doesn't mean they're less spiritual. They are seeking a level of awareness in a different place. Everybody is spiritual. I don't hear somebody say, oh, he's spiritual. Everybody is spiritual. You can't separate the non-spiritual from the person. But we are different reflections of that cosmic consciousness. There's a different awareness level. Ultimately, we're already enlightened. We're already one with God. Okay, that's that's your that's your destiny. But we're at different levels of waking up. So since there's no time and space, you could say people told me, Well, we're ever built, why gotta be in a hurry? Well, I said there's no hurry, we all get there. But you believe in this dream and you've accepted it as reality, therefore you also believe in its pain and you've taken on its suffering. And that's not a lot of fun, <laughs> right? So just looking at it that way, yeah, there's no hurry, but you can hang around here forever. So we are all we are all on the same train. Let's put it this way. Let's say in your life you meet up somebody that's your spiritual mentor, teacher, guru, somebody higher than that perhaps. And you follow this person, and that person's job is to take the flock, right? Take them to the top of the mountain, right? Everybody's looking for that guru on the mountaintop experience when they take him, introduce him to God in the clouds. Here we are. We're all going to the top. Well, the top, the Everest, is awakening and knowing that you're God, right? That's the top. 
So you get this guide that's going to take you. And basically, we're all on the same rope. We're going to climb Mount Everest together. Now, some of us are in the base camp. We got this rope around us. Some are in the first, the first camp up above, and the second camp, the third camp. Some of us are in the death zone. Some of us are almost at the top. Some of us reach the top, right? But we got people all the way back to the valley. They haven't even got to the base camp yet, right? But if anybody falls along that path, this protector, saint, guru, leader, mentor, whoever we've chosen to help us, is going to keep us on the path. So we're each looking for that leader. We're each looking for that mentor. In truth, that one guru is all, it's all one guru. may take different faces. It may look like Jesus. It may look like Buddha. It may look like whoever you want. But it's only one. In the end, it's the guru within the guru. God, consciousness, that takes us to the moon. So our, our task is stay hooked to the rope. And if we're in a hurry, we can pass a few people. No, no crime. And we really want to get going. We're going to go even without an oxygen bath. I don't need an oxygen bath. I'm going to the top. I'm going to go up the top of Everest. Just, I'm going to, you know. All right. Okay. That's the goal. And the truth is, we all make it. That's the good news. Nobody's going to hell and damnation forever. We're all God. God ain't going to, you know, torture himself. I mean, it's never going to happen. So, little people like me that are out there that that are quote unquote teaching or leading or showing or sharing, we are nothing more than bus drivers. We're on this bus taking you to this place so you can start your path up the mountain. And I'm driving along and and I'm the so-called teacher, but I'm going to hear this this old guy behind me talking and go, that's pretty darn good. Hey, why, don't you, why don't you go up there and drive for a while? And pretty soon there's going to be a kid in the back that's going to teach me something. He's going to go up. He's going to drive. In other words, we're all on the same bus. Some people are in the back of the bus. Some people think they're the teacher, they're the driver. But that bus, when it arrives at its destination, like an airplane, when an airplane lands, I don't care if you're in the back row or the front row, you're all in the same city at the same time, right? Whatever order you get off doesn't make any difference. So it's the same thing when you got people that are the leaders of a group or a teacher, and they start thinking that they're the driver, you know, you know, we're all drivers. We all take our turn. We got something to teach people we teach. If somebody's got something to teach us, great. Because if you go through whole life and you think, I can only teach. I have something about you. I can only teach. I can't learn from this. You can learn from everybody in your life. Even from negative things you learn. So there's always something to learn. So one has to become both a teacher and a student. But if you're only one or the other, you're, 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 you're missing something. If you're always a student and you're never a teacher, that's no good either because even though you may be a, a not, not a high-achieving student, well, if you're, if you're in high school and you're not the smartest guy in high school, but 
You know more than a sixth grader. You could tutor the sixth grader, right? So there's always somebody that we can teach. So to me, I, I call my secret of life one hand up and one hand down. As you go through life, you reach up to somebody that you intuitively feel or know that this person is got higher energy than you. It's not a judgment. You just feel, you know, you know, you sense it. And then you, this person, but your brother needs help. He's down here, right? You're going to grab him. And if you're not willing to help somebody that's below you, then how do you expect anybody that's above you to reach down and help you, right? So this whole thing is about reaching up and reaching down, being a student, reaching up, being a teacher, reaching down. It's a chain. It's an endless chain. Because there's always somebody know more than you do. And you owe something more than the other guy. So it's an endless chain. Yeah. It's more the balance concept that you talk about as well. And speaking of teacher and student, we have a caller. Good. And it is... His name is Don Chow. Chow. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. And uh, let me let me, like let me to, help you out. My name is Pastor Don Pastor Junior CEO, and you have to say it all together. Sometimes we forget that people don't type anymore. I, I grew up with black and green computers. Now we have all 256 colors. People don't type anymore. So it's Pastor Dodger and CEO. How are you doing tonight, okay. Elder? All right. So let's let's do this. Says I've just been talking about everybody's a student and a teacher. I, I, I you have some wisdom to share. I sense that. I'd like to hear what. Seriously, you've been listening. Got some thoughts. Um. I, I would I would uh, I would love to hear. Scott, I do how old, have wisdom. How old are you? Uh, I'm 42. I've been uh I've been in business on my own for 23 years. Uh, I, I walked into my father's office when I was uh, very young in the game, and uh, I told my father I said, look, these people don't have five thousand dollars. They can't afford our services. We need to still work with them anywhere. He took another bite of his sandwich and told me, kind of the uh, son, you need to get your own place. So for the last 23 years, I've been in business. I've been a pastor for 17 years, and uh, I lived in 40 out of 50 states. And I've knocked over, I've knocked on over 100,000 doors. So I have plenty of wisdom to share. I'm very well equipped, well ready. God sent me here for a reason. Well, we were talking earlier about Christmas stories. Now, if you've been talking to that many people out there, do you have something happened at Christmas with? It's one of the people that you work with that touched you in some way that you'd like to share? Absolutely. Uh, One thing about Christmas, uh, Christmas is the fourth quarter. A lot of people don't realize that uh, when you sign a lease for a house, uh, most people, when you look at geographically over the last uh, 20 or 30 years, they move during the months of October, December, and November. Uh, those last oh, September, we can't forget about September, but the last four months, not necessarily the last quarter, we've, it's uh, quarter works in three-month cycles on a physical calendar year, but that 
that first planning month is okay. You get this the spark from God to say it's time to move, but uh, moving around and meeting so many people and actually interacting with life, I learned something, and I want to share this with y'all. Uh, at a blink of eye, everything can change. Even though this virus has everybody living in the spirit of fear, God is bigger than any situation. You can read that in Ephesians 6:10. He's gonna bless us more than we can imagine and hope for. But at the end of the day, I only preach faith, love, and hope. I can't get into what you spoke or who you lay with and how you live your day-to-day life. But what I can say, if you keep the faith, you have love for people, and you hope that you're doing the right thing, all the things will fall into place in God's timing. Now, this is really important. I'm going to leave this with y'all. Adam ate the fruit that he presented to him, and he said, once you eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge, from this day you will die. But Adam will be uh, 936 years. I'm not saying keep sinning, doing anything wrong. I'm saying that a day for you is a thousand years for God, or 10 seconds for you is 10 billion years for God. So we don't know what God's going to do tomorrow. So don't put God in the box. And uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Merry Christmas to you too. Did you have a question? I do have a question. I do have a question. With uh, with Christmas being the holiday season and it's all being closed down, how can we tell Grandma, Grandpa that we love them without not giving them a call and sending them a Instagram or emoji, uh, what kind of uh, avenues would you say would be best for us to reach out to our loved ones? Because, you know, we used to do the Christmas cards, the ugly sweater, everybody go down to the Christmas place and take the picture. And uh, we used to have to come before the streetlights. Those values are gone. In this digital age, what do you feel would be best to show grandma and grandpa that you love them without not actually sending them an emoji? Uh, I tell you what, because it depends on, well, I'm a grandparent, I'm 75, so, uh, and I'm, I'm into electronics, but not, not everybody at this age or older knows how to do Zoom, Skype, or something. But I tell you what, if you could do one of those methods, that's great. Someone could set it up for them with care for somebody. But I tell you what really helps people, and, and you being a pastor, this because you sense it and feel it as part of your work. You know, when you pray for people and you visualize them when you pray for them and you visualize Jesus's love and light around them, uh, even if you don't tell them that, you know, love, love, love knows no boundaries. Send love to love. People feel it. They don't understand it, but they feel it. So, it's very important that, uh, if nothing else, you, you have a, a phone call with older people. Uh, we're going to lose some older people this year, and, and we're losing some emotionally. Emotionally, the, these are hard years right now. I haven't seen my grandkids, you know, I haven't touched my grandkids since March 16th. So, you know, I've been in the house pretty much, and I don't let them come over. They, uh, they miss me. I miss them. I do FaceTime once in a while, but they're they're old people out there, and, and they need to know they're appreciated. And I'm old-fashioned, you know. To me, phone calls and letters are still good. 
I I appreciate getting a letter. A letter is so rare now. Uh, people send a card, they doesn't do it. Letters really mean yeah, something. And, and I've had I've had grandchildren call grandparents and and sing them a song, a Christmas song, which I think is really kind of neat, on the phone, and they can hear the kids singing a carol, anything like that. You got your work cut out for you, sir, and uh, I send you my love, and and, and I I wish you best for the the holidays. But you're right. You know, Christmas, they say, is the fourth quarter, but it's also the first – also the first minute getting the game right this the alpha and omega right amen so blessings to you amen have a merry Christmas thanks for calling I'm gonna hang out for the rest of the show as long as y'all don't have me up (laughs) good yeah um, do, do you have another question? I think it's going now. Oh, okay. But there's a guy that's out there doing work in the trenches. I mean, to knock on that that many houses mm-hmm. to, to that many people. See, that's a giving spirit. How do you how do you teach people that? That by him talking about that, what he does. Somebody listens out there, and that's how they learn because they go, "We don't trust a guy doing that." I could, I don't have to do ten thousand people, hundred thousand people, but you know, I, I got neighbors I could talk to. I got, you know, strangers, there's homeless people. You know, there's a lot of people out there just need somebody to listen. And if you're a pastor or a minister, if, if you don't, if you don't know how to listen, uh, you're missing it. And uh, uh, listening is, is is truly the art of ministry. So we we teach people to pray. We teach people to listen by meditation, because even God wants to be heard. Right? If, we, if you pray all the time to God, you always talk to God, but you never listen. That's kind of a one way thing, isn't it? So sometimes you got to stop the thoughts, stop the mind, and be receptive. You know, God's talking to you, too. Right? All right. Okay. Well, um... Mark, we got any other questions out there? Or? Yeah, um... That's the only caller right now, but, you know, Pastor Don... Okay. Ju- junior CEO was, um... Uh, for him, since, since he's a Christian minister, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a story. What I'm going to... When I give a, 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 a sermon at a, a Assembly of God or, 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 or a Protestant church, they usually like this story. There's a true story. It deals with with a young man from a church and a group of people, young people, coming to Sacramento. And they came in a bus. It was, a, it was one of those First Baptist churches, I think, from... Uh, San Jose, that's what they had under. I'm going down in a raft on the Sacramento, on the American River in Sacramento. And I stop at the beach and I look down the end of the beach and there's a whole bunch of crowd of people standing around. And I look out in the water because I'm a former lifeguard and I see this body floating out there. 
So I go running down the beach, right? And then finally, this guy grabbed that guy. You know, so he's getting, they probably bring this guy out of the water. Apparently, this kid was underwater six, seven, eight, nine minutes. Nobody knew how long. Long time. Ice cold water, melting snow coming down from the Sierras. And then they just laid him on the sand on the beach. And everybody's just standing there. All these young people talking, teenagers, standing there just looking down at the ground. And I'm, and I'm getting mad, right? It's like, go there and I push all these kids away. And I, and I, you know, being a lifeguard, I go, okay, I'm the guy. I better know, I know what I'm doing. So I grab him, I tilt his neck, I check his, if he has anything in his mouth, you know. I'm, I'm doing compression on his chest. I'm giving him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. And I'm doing this for a long time. There's no pulse. There's no breath. He's ashen gray, almost a white. He's dead. I mean, there's people mumbling, he's dead, he's dead. And I'm going, you know, being, I figure, you know, it's cold water. And I don't, I don't, being a lifeguard, once I start to give somebody, you know, artificial respiration of some kind, until a, a fireman or a paramedic comes and says, stop, I keep, I just go, right? So I'm going a long time on this kid. And then pretty soon, he erupts. I don't know if you ever give mouth to mouth to anybody, Mark, but when they come through, they vomit. I mean, it's projectile. And I'm mouth to mouth this guy. And so it's inside my mouth. And it's all of my beard and hair and face. And, uh, and I just said to hell with it. And I just go back and I try to clear his lungs. And, and he finally gets up. So he went from being dead to standing. And he turns out he's 17 years old. But I'm looking at this 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 young, beautiful little 16, 17-year-old girl, blonde girl that's next to him. And, and I'm going, what's wrong with you people? And I looked at the whole group of people, right? I said, what's wrong with you kids? Your friend was laying here dying dead, and you guys were standing there not doing a damn thing. And that's what I said. I said, damn thing, you know, and it's a church group. You know? and, and I said, what were you thinking? So this little 16-year-old girl, she goes, well, mister, we were doing something. And I said, what were you doing? She says, none of us knew how to do what you just did. So we were all praying that Jesus would send somebody that knew how to do it. <laughs> I go, what? That's right. And she says, and you came, didn't you? And so I was speechless. And I was like, what? What? Because <laughs> I was mad at him. And I said, what do you say, right? So it was like, Okay, so that's generally the story I give when I go to a a, a Protestant church because they, they all get it. I don't have to explain it, but it's uh, I was at that was the only time I went rafting, like in about a dozen years. It was the only time that I got off on that beach. The whole time I've lived in the area, forty one years, never been back to that beach. At that moment, the guy's being dragged out of the water. At that moment, that bus was there with those children. And I, being the only trained person, lifeguard, professional lifeguard at one time, on the beach. Coincidence. Perfect timing. It was meant to happen. There you go. So my whole life is is a whole bunch of those things. And when people do read any of my books, either Alchemy of a a Warrior's Heart, which is... uh, about going to India with miracles and supernatural things and a couple of near-death experiences, 
or my autobiography, which is uh, Warrior, a Spiritual Odyssey, which deals with this story I just told, among other things, and all kinds of chicken soup of the soul kind of events in my life, plus Vietnam, some pretty heavy stuff, plus uh, alien abduction story and ghost stories and uh, all nonfiction. Uh, but the purpose of writing those books and having them out there is not to say, oh, this happened to me. It's to tell people that believe, believe. Miracles and supernatural, spiritual, mystical things that happened in the past happen in the present. They still happen in the now all the time. And not just me. So if somebody's out there and they go to Amazon, makes a Speaking of Christmas, makes a good Christmas gift. You might want to give them a copy. Anyway, they go to my website. To, uh, they'll find some uh, some links to that. But they'll also find uh, my YouTube video channel, which has a lot of stories that are in my books. You don't have to spend a penny. Go to my YouTube channel, watch my videos. And I have short videos, long videos, and, and more inspirational stuff. The whole idea is to inspire people. And what purpose do I want to inspire them? I want them to become seekers after their own self-realization, after their own awareness for their own spiritual growth. In other words, this is all about making a spiritual effort every day. And if that means, if that means your effort is going to church, saying the catechism, you know, blowing, having candles, whatever, whatever your religious beliefs are, don't be a hypocrite. Follow your religious beliefs. So that's kind of our mess. So in summary, so I, I see the old clock on the wall is starting to wind up. In summary, uh, basically what I teach is just two basic things, to love and to serve. People are always asking, what's the purpose of my life? Why am I here? Why am I? Why are you here? Why? Why are we all here? And I tell people it's just to love and serve, and then you can compress that down to just to love. Serving is loving, and when you serve others, it's the most selfish act you can do. What? What do you mean? Because there's no way that when you help somebody, that you don't help yourself. When you Give somebody some love and something from yourself. You give it to yourself as well. So that's why I tell people it's the most selfish thing you can do is help others. It just keeps coming at you. It keeps coming. You can't. Please don't give me any more help. Don't. I, I got too many hugs and too many loves. Don't give me any more. You know, I've never met anybody that's ever said that, but conceivably it's possible you can get too much love. <laughs> Theoretically. Now. By the same token, the opposite's true. If you hold anger and hate towards others, you don't forgive people, send that out. That's exactly what you get back. So what you sow, so shall you reap. Literally. That's karma. In an essence. So Mark, I appreciate you having me on here. Hopefully we're not going to have any weird sound effects on this. <laughs> I don't think so. No, and and you know, I thought 
you provided wonderful examples of you know, the age of miracles isn't over. Uh, we you know, still you know, there are still uh, many people out there with the apostolic uh, spirit and are out out knocking on doors like uh, Pastor Don Junior uh, just mentioned. That's a great show. It was very uplifting and got us uh, ready for the Christmas season. And hopefully people realize, as they did this year, you notice when the virus came, that the Hallmark Channel and the Lifetime Channel and all these channels were, you could watch Christmas movies from March, April, June, July, August, uh, Halloween. I mean, Christmas movies were nonstop. I'd never seen so many. I mean, I watched a bunch myself. So Christmas is not just a season. Christmas is a heartfelt piece of real estate. Own that heart. It's Christmas all the time. God bless you. And, and thank you for having me on here, Mark. And Barbara, if she's listening in, bless you too. But she, she, she's uh, saying that there's one minute left, which doesn't necessarily mean that she's a Grinch. She's just telling us that you know we have to wrap it up. And you are welcome to come back anytime. It, it, it was a lot of fun. I, you know, uh, you know, my friend, the uh, human billboard, said she enjoyed the show. So, you know, she was getting some messages out of it too. So. It, it, it was a terrific show. Thank you for everything you do, uh, Reverend Laird McDonald. There you go. <laughs> get it, get it all in there. So, and I, I it, it, own a little parcel land over there in Scotland now. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, we will see everyone next week. Thank you so much, and uh, talk to you soon. Have a great week.